0: We're going to be reading John sixteen sixteen through 33. A little while, and you will see me no longer. And again, a little while, and you will see me. So some of his disciples said to one another, what is this that he says to us? A little while, and you will not see me. And again, a little while, you will see me. And because I am going to the Father. So they were saying, what does he mean by a little while? We do, we do not know what he is talking about. Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him. So he said to them, Is this what you are asking yourselves? What I meant by saying, A little while, and you will not see me? And again a little while, you will see me? Truly, truly, I say to you, You will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you, that in, in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world.
1: Thank you, Stephen. Um, my name is Bela Franklin. I'm one of the pastoral apprentices here at Midlands, and I'm really thankful to be able to be up here to uh, share with you guys, to preach through John 16 through 33 um as we just heard thank you Stephen for reading that this is a hard section to to kind of grapple with there's a lot of back and forth it's almost like a ping pong ball match that first little while little while you know it's being re- repeated and uh, Jesus himself even acknowledges he's using figurative speech here um so Stephen thank you for for reading that. Um I've been reading this over and over again and it takes a lot to to uh, work through and, and so hopefully we're going to be able to unpack some of that today. Um wanted to to begin just by laying that context. We're going to go through this chunk. There's so much here. I wanted to to do it service by going verse by verse to to get our heads around what that exchange is to really understand what the disciples are, are confused by, why they're confused, what Jesus is actually saying, and then what he uh, expounds upon in the, the latter half. Um, and as as we start, uh, last week uh, we heard from Aaron, and it was really a, a, a helpful sermon and beautiful text that we looked at, where Jesus promises the Spirit, and he tells us something incredible. And Aaron hit on this in, in ways that were really helpful for me, and I just want us to, to be reminded of that as we look in this second half of the chapter. Jesus says that it's better for the Spirit to come, for us as believers in Jesus to have the Spirit indwelling in our hearts than for Jesus to be with us personally. So think about that. It's better that, that you receive the Spirit in your heart and that be active than if the person sitting next to you or the empty seat next to you were Jesus himself sitting there. That is just amazing. Um, and we can, we can worship God in that, and we can reflect on that. And I think one amazing thing that Aaron unpacked was how the Spirit allowed these men who were traveling with Jesus for, uh, for months uh for, for years and and seeing his ministry, hearing his words, saying they believed him, but they're constantly bumbling over what he means. They don't actually know. Um and and it's not until the Spirit comes that they actually have full understanding. And so we have that spirit today. If you trust in, in Jesus, if you've you've become a Christian, you have access to the understanding that allowed John, years after the fact, To look back on his time with Jesus and write this account. To even remember and give, you know, provide or reveal the meaning of his confusion. So that's what we see here in these early verses. We see confusion and the, the disciples not understanding. But by the spirit, John was able to later understand. That's an incredible gift that we have as Christians. That we have a spirit of truth given to us by God to understand. Um, one way that Aaron put it, I think he said uh, that you wouldn't expect these men to graduate fifth grade based on the understanding that we see. And uh, that is, I think, in, in view here as we look at these early verses. Read with me uh, verse 16. It says, a little while, this is Jesus speaking, a little while and you will see me no longer. And again, a little while and you will see me. So some of his disciples said to one another, what is he saying that he says to us? A little while and you will not see me. And again, a little while and you will see me. And quote, because I'm going to the Father. So they're, the disciples are bringing back something that he said earlier about going to the Father and kind of tying it in with these little whiles, trying to understand. And so again, they're in verse 18, they're restating their question, but just amongst themselves, they're saying, what does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he's talking about. So I don't know if you guys have been here where you're, you're so confused by something that you don't even know how to ask the question. You're almost embarrassed to do that. And it seems like the disciples are in that place here. They don't know what Jesus is talking about. They don't know what a little while means. What 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 is all of this? And... I think even now there's, there's some debate about it, but I think it, it's pretty clear that the little while here that Jesus is talking about is the next few days. He's going to, in hours, be betrayed and, uh, and soon be crucified. And so he's, he's going to be gone from them. These men who have walked with him will not have the one that they're saying they hope in, that they trust, that they believe is the Messiah. They will no longer have him near. And so he's saying that will be gone, but he's he's giving them hope that he will come back, that they will see him again. But again, they're, they're not getting that yet. They don't know what's going on. And Jesus, in his insight, he knows their hearts. He knows that they're not understanding. He knows that they're wanting to ask this question. And so they're not bold enough to ask it, so Jesus confronts it. He says to them, uh, verse 19, picking up at his quote, he says, Is this what you were asking yourselves? What I meant by saying, "A little while and you will not see me, and again a little while and you will see me." And so you might think that uh, Jesus is going to finally, really unpack in clear terms, say, "You know, I'll be gone for three days. I'll be dead, uh, and then I'll I'll resurrect on the third day um, and be back with you." It seems like okay, great. As as the disciples in their confusion, it'd be. Uh, I imagine exciting to, to have someone acknowledge your confusion, address it, and then here's the explanation. So what does Jesus say to the disciples? Verse 20, read with me. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. We will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow, because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one, no one will take your joy from you. So Jesus unpacks it a little bit, but he uses this this imagery. He talks about pregnancy and and birth and not something you'd usually expect, you know, a group of of guys hanging out using uh, birthing imagery to describe something. But that's what Jesus uses here. And we see throughout the word, we see in the Old Testament, especially that this imagery is used of labor and giving birth. And so what does Jesus say here? He says, a woman is giving who is giving birth has sorrow because her hour has come. There's there's anticipation, there's pain, there's struggle in that. And I think uh, this verse, just providentially, God allowed me to be up here and I'm thankful for it. I've loved getting to dig into this and see this. And uh, we are now expecting our, our third in just under two months from now. Who knows exactly? It could be a little more, but... Uh, we are so excited and so thankful for the gift of life, of pregnancy, um, and this will be our third, uh, again, baby, and having gone through that twice now, it's just such an incredible thing, and to see firsthand what that looks like for uh, my bride to, to be pregnant Pregnancy itself is is not an easy thing, and more so than any woman I've heard of, she gets hit with morning sickness in the most severe way. It's pretty much at this point, we have three cases to test it. It's three straight months of being completely sick for every day. It's, it's like having the flu for her, and she perseveres. She perseveres because of the, the joy set before her of, of a baby, of this life, of this gift that the Lord has given and by God's grace, we've, we've welcomed too and are, are hoping for another healthy birth. And then on that day, you know, towards the end right now, uh, needing a little help getting up from the floor and there's added stress on her bones. And, and as she moves, uh, there's, there's a lot of added weight. She's carrying a baby. It's incredible. And it's work. But she endures that looking forward to the joy of the life that lies ahead. And then on that day when things are happening, when contractions are starting, there's known struggle. There's known pain ahead. And just getting to, to do that together, getting to obviously, not kidding myself, It's she's doing the work, but getting to, to labor together and to... Uh, to trust God's promises that, yes, the the pain in childbirth is accounted for in the curse. The the struggle of it is there, but it's redeemed. There's hope in it. There's hope even in the curse that it's around a baby being born. And so we're able to to pray through that and rejoice and worship and trust. And Brianna is able to push through those contractions instead of running away and, and know that the next one's going to be harder and, and it's going to keep on building, the pressure's going to build, but we're, we're, she's pushing in hope of this baby that will be delivered. And that's the imagery that Jesus gives to this impending season, this impending time of sorrow, of pain for the disciples. He's telling them, yes, it will be hard. Yes, it will. It won't be comfortable. You're going to have fear. You're going to have doubt. You're going to realize how little you control. I think that's one thing pregnancy and, and labor does. We, we can't control so much. It's, it's his grace that allows the life to come. And so it is here. The disciples can't control when Jesus will rise. They don't know for sure that he will rise. But he's telling them to trust that there is life ahead. To persevere through those sorrows, knowing that there is joy coming. So I, I want to just compare this picture of, of joy of birth to uh, one of the instances we see in the Old Testament. We see in Isaiah 26, uh, this is what uh, Chad read from to, uh, to do our call to worship and if you guys can actually turn turn there too, we'll actually read 16 26 16 through 21. And so Isaiah again 26, 16. This is is talking about Israel and their failed attempts towards righteousness, and it uses the same imagery of pregnancy, <clears throat> pregnancy and labor. But there's something very different about Israel's labor that's apart from the Lord. And you'll see that. Instead of giving birth to life, here in 16 we see, O oh Lord, in distress they sought you. They poured out a whispered prayer. When your discipline was upon them, like a pregnant woman who writhes and cries out in her pangs when she is near to giving birth, so were we because of you, O Lord. We were pregnant, we writhed, but we have given birth to wind. We have accomplished no deliverance in the earth, and the inhabitants of the world have not been born. So that uh, just on, on 18, one note there, the have not fallen, that word actually is is uh, more so fallen in, in the context of labor, of a, a baby coming. Um, so this is saying that uh, Israel's attempts at righteousness, their, their wayward uh, attempts to build up their own righteousness, were like being pregnant and laboring. There's still struggle there. There's still pain there. But divorced from God, what comes at the end of that pregnancy? What comes after all that work? Wind, nothingness. Look at that compared to the promise that that Jesus gives the disciples, that there will be life ahead, that there's joy, there's a human being in in the context of that analogy. And then look in 22. So also you have sorrow. Sorry, 22 in John 16, Now, So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. This isn't a hollow joy. This isn't a hollow promise. Not a hollow pregnancy. And I think there's there's some connection to to the indwelling spirit here, right? Because because the pregnancy, there's a life inside of you, and with the spirit, there's a life inside of us. If we labor in our worldly efforts towards righteousness, there is no life in us. The spirit is not in us. But if if we're laboring because of the Spirit, and through the Spirit, and with the Spirit, then there there is life ahead. There is hope for redemption. So continue reading with me, excuse me, in verse 23. Jesus says, in that day you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive, that your joy may be full. And this is, again, just another beautiful uh, encouragement of Jesus. He's pointing us to the promise of access to the Father, that in his going, the Father still hears, that they can ask things of the Father. And here in verse 23, you'll see he says, you will ask nothing of me, but then he says, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give to you. These are two different ask terms, the the word ask. The first one is more so for ask a question, and that's aiming at understanding. And so because the Spirit will come, because eventually the the word will be uh, complete and we'll have that, we won't have to ask Jesus to explain himself. We will know, and we do know by his word and and through the Spirit and through our worship, we know what truth is. We can go to this book and know Jesus intimately. We can know the one who is called love. But then we can also go to the Father. We can ask him for what we need, and we can trust him. And I think Jesus continues on in this line in, in, in 25. But one thing that I really want you guys to, to think on, and I I assume it's a struggle for others. It It's definitely a struggle for me. But I realize in preparing for this that so often I look at God the Father as just angry, as just looking at me ready to, to send me to hell, to to pour out his wrath on me and that it's Jesus only that that gets in the way of that and and protects me from this angry God. And there's something helpful in that imagery. It's absolutely, hear this, it's absolutely true that it's Jesus' work that allows me to go to the Father, that protects me from the wrath that I deserve. But the Father loves us, and Jesus reminds us that so often. God the Father loves us, and he sent his Son because he loves us. It's not just that he loves us in response to what Jesus has done. And that that's hard for me to wrap my head around. And functionally, as I go to the Lord, as I pray, as I study, I so often think of, of it as just coming before him as uh, just apologetic, knowing that I, I'm not good enough and that... Uh, That he's just angry at me. And knowing that he loves me, that, right, I'm not good enough, but he loves me enough to give me Christ's righteousness. That I can enter into prayer to him and put my request before him. That's just a beautiful, beautiful truth that we have. And Jesus goes on to expound what that access looks like, what it looks like to be loved by the Father, to love the Father. In verse 25, read with me. Jesus tells us that because we we believe, and and how do we believe? We believe because of the spirit that's sent by Jesus, that that allows our hearts to love Jesus and, and honor him. And because of that, God the Father loves us. And then in 28, he says, I came from the Father and I've come into the world. And now I'm leaving the world and going to the Father. So uh, again, Jesus is saying that he's speaking figuratively, he's using figures of speech, and that the hour is coming when he will speak to them plainly. And then he drops another another, uh, snippet of encouragement, of beautiful truth that the disciples can fall back on in knowing that they're loved by the Father because they love Jesus. And so let's let's see what the disciples respond again going back they were confused had no idea what he's talking about with all these little wiles they were delighted I'm sure to hear Jesus vocalize this and then they've just heard him go on for for several minutes about or multiple minutes about the uh, the explanation for what he's saying and in that expe- explanation we have verse 25 again where he's saying I'm still speaking in figurative speech the hour is coming when I'll no longer speak in figurative speech, when I'll speak plainly. But he includes that in his in his explanation. Things are still veiled to you, is what he says. But then the disciples, in their response, they say, Ah, now you are speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. The very thing he just said that he was doing... It's just uh, To me, it was comical to see that, and I've definitely been in this situation where someone uh, is explaining something to me, and I, I ask for clarification, and they go on and rephrase it, and I still don't understand, and then I just don't want to be awkward and don't want to make them explain it again, so I just say, oh yeah, I get it, and, and move on, um, or take the last sentence they said and just repeat that in an understanding way. Um, right. I, I know this has happened to me with directions a lot. My brain can only hold like the first two streets and maybe the right turn, right or left. And, uh, and then I just end up Googling it or something like that. (laughs) But here the disciples seem to be doing this. They're, they're foolhardy and and wanting to appear like they get it. They hear this idea of access to the Father as a good thing. They know they want to, want to trust Jesus. They want to believe he, he is who he says he is. But here they're, they're missing the point again, even directly contradicting what he just said. So again, uh, 29, his disciples said, Ah, now you're speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. Again, he, he's not saying they don't need to question him. He's saying there's an hour coming when you won't need to. This is why we believe that you came from God. And so in this kind of, oh, yeah, we get it. We're with you, Jesus. We know what's going on. We understand fully. Thank you for for explaining it all perfectly clear. In response to that, Jesus answers them. He sees through that. Obviously, he can understand when they're confused and when they're not. And Jesus answers them. Do you believe? Do you now believe Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. Jesus responds to their their foolhardy uh, zeal of saying, yes, we're with you, we understand. And like he does so often in the Gospels, when people are standing firm on their righteousness, firm on their ability to understand and to, to do the right thing, he says, no. You're going to fall. You're going to fail. You who, who say you'll die with me, say you'll, you'll do anything for me, that there's no place that I'm going that you won't go. The hour is coming. Indeed, it has come. They are within moments of it when you will be scattered. When you who say I'm Lord will desert me. That's how Jesus responds. And again, these are words that John reflected on. That he looked back on his scattering, on his failure to, to be as zealous as he thought he was and stand with Jesus. He looks back on that and sees Jesus call him out here. but then we have more. He does not leave it in, no, you guys are all going to fail me. Jesus does not leave it there. He says, yet I am not alone. He grounds his faith, his, his confidence, in the only thing we can ground our confidence in, in the, the reality that God is with us. That's what Jesus does here. He says, yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you that in me you may have Peace. In the world, you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. I've conquered the world. Jesus is, is telling these men, "You will have trouble. You will have tribulation, you will have trial. But take heart. I'm the winner. I'm the conqueror. I'm king. We can endure hard things because we have Jesus, because we have the Spirit, because the Father loves us, because he has overcome all those struggles. And so as we look back on these verses, I think, um, I want us to see the reality that our Christian life is not free from struggle. In fact, we're told over and over again through the the scriptures, both the the gospels from Jesus' words himself to the the epistles and uh, just hearing again and again that if you follow Jesus, you will have pain. You will have discomfort. It will not be easy. But what will happen after a life of enduring, of laboring, of pushing through the discomfort to honor Jesus, to follow him, to be with him, to know him and make him known? What happens after a lifetime of that? What do we hope for and what do we get? We get the promise of life. We will not give birth to wind. That labor will come with a resurrection with a new life. As a church, I think we, we I know, we are all sinful. We're all broken. We are all neurotic in ways or uh, annoying to some and hard to deal with and there's conflict and there are things that we just don't want to talk about and we want to as quickly as possible find the group of people that we can rally around and be connected with and feel fed by. We can, we can throw Christian terms on it. And there's a, a good desire to connect with people. But the, the way in which Jesus calls us to love one another is to bear with the painful things, to, to submit the struggles of, hey, this brother said this thing. I think it's not good for his heart. I think it's out of line with the word. I just don't want to deal with it, so I'm going to breeze right past that and go over here or just keep it surface level when we're talking. That's a temptation. But what the the word calls us to is to to love one another, to love God, to honor Him enough, to challenge each other, to have hard conversations, to push into conflict, to love the person who just seems to, to not get it or seems to be two type A or two type B or just doesn't mesh. That's not how the world knows Jesus, by seeing us just act the way that they do. They, they see Jesus when we love others who are hard to love, when we love others not just in sentimental ways, but we love others in truth. So let's do that as a body. Let's trust this promise that the spirit is in us and we can we can submit to that we can pray to that when when there's something that's hard uh, either you know in a relationship or in a church setting any anything amongst believers we can take that to the lord we can look to the word we can submit it in prayer ask for the spirit's leading and then come humbly to our brother or sister and challenge them and say hey this is what i see in the bible and this is this is something that doesn't seem to connect can you tell me about that? Let's pray about that. Let's look at that. Let's honor Jesus in how we do conflict. And I, I think, uh, well, first, just as we, we do wrap up, I, I do want to uh, offer my, uh, I, yeah, I just, I want to say you're welcome for not using too many Valentine's Day Clichés in this sermon. It was uh, actually pretty easy for me to do, but I know, uh, sorry if that's what you're hoping for, um, but uh, didn't have many of those today, but I do want to address Valentine's Day. I think it, it's a great thing for us to have some traditions and regular things for us to look on good principles and things that are true and beautiful, and our God is love. Like that's, that's reason enough to be bought in on Valentine's Day and celebrating that. But we also have to be aware of what John tells us here. Well, what Jesus tells us here, in that the the world rejoices in things that are counter to God, and they corrupt things that that God has for us. We saw even in in John uh, the verse two, I believe, um, of sixteen. He says, "They will put you out of the synagogues." Indeed. The hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. So those who do not have the spirit will do things that are abhorrent to God, that are counter to what we know Jesus to be, what we know truth to be, and they'll say it's good. And our world with love does that very thing. They will take this word love that feels good, that sounds good, and they will packet full of all these understandings that are counter to what our God has told us, to who we know love to be. We'll see someone uh, champion the idea of love, love is love, uh, love the one you're with, all these slogans that sound easy, but then they'll, in the same breath, support uh, explicit things that are counter to God's understanding of love be it abortion, or same-sex marriage, or, or anything. And, and even just the idea of love as being sentimental in itself is counter to God. It's work. And he's written that work and redemption into the fabric of being. All of us have been born. We entered the world through pain, through struggle. Yet it's worth doing. When you exercise, there's pain, there's, there's struggle, but there's strength that comes out of it. He's he's woven these realities into the fabric of the world. Doesn't it make sense that he would do that in love as well? In the very thing that he says he's characterized by, that, or that is characterized by him, I guess would be right. But love is like that. Love isn't just, oh, it's just only the good, easy, comfortable things. Love is, no, work. If you love this church, show it work for it. If you love your neighbor, show it, work for them. And that breeds a true love, a true life that points to Jesus. I just want to encourage you guys in that. And um, yeah, I, I know there's so many things that pull in different directions. Let us be grounded in Jesus's definition of love, Jesus's definition of, of life, and this hope that he gives us. So, if you guys would uh, please pray with me, and um, we're we're gonna close, and the last song we'll th- we'll sing is "Your labor is not in vain." And I think that's just a, a beautiful way for us to close. The hard things that we're called to are worth doing. It'll bear life. So, pray with me, Jesus. I thank you, Lord, for. This time, God, for the ability to uh, to be up here and to speak on Your truth, God, uh, there is tremendous joy in Your words, Lord, that You call us to to care for one another, to love one another, and to worship You in it, Lord. That as we do these things in faithfulness, we can trust that in the end, it is aiming at light. It is aiming at life, that your promises are true, God, that there is a day when every tear will be wiped away, when all the hard things, all the struggle will be completely redeemed, when the the contractions will cease because the baby is in hand, Lord, because there's life abundant. God, help us as a body to to believe that and to trust you. God, Lord, I confess my heart so often fears the approval of man or comfort above obedience to you, above honoring you, above submitting to you, Lord. I pray that you help us as a body not fear each other, Lord, but to trust your words that that the Spirit dwells within us, and if the Spirit is in us, we have all unity, and all the things where it seems like we don't connect, it seems like we're, we're not together, Lord, that, that those are the things that must pass away, Lord, that we, we can look to you, that we can fully be united in your truth. So Spirit, help us to do that hard work. Help us to honor you, and to delight in you, Lord. Thank you for your love, for your mercy, And for your guidance, Lord, we pray all of this in your name. Amen.